back in the podcast studio, seasonal and fun here. Uh, it's, it's, what is it right now? End of March, rolling into April, getting down to the, the exciting part of the hustle and bustle, planting the garden, just put in our compost, dirt order, all that good stuff. We've got turkey hunting coming up. And this is uh, episode two of Turkey Hunting 101. Excited for it. Excited to share it with you all. Since since we recorded episode one, there's been a couple uh, anti-R3 articles kind of put out from some more well-known outdoor or hunting organizations. And it's kind of, there's some valid points in there, but it's... Um, kind of disappointing that a lot of these organizations are wanting to toss the whole program get rid of it and some of the reasons are just super weak very um, perhaps unhealthy even for the the evolution in the future for these outdoor pursuits hunting trapping fishing those kind of things so um, really hoping that the rebuttal articles uh, get posted and shared just as much as the um, the main articles themselves. So yeah, it's just a bummer to see, and I hope uh, more people are gaining the good out of it. And how do we how do we evolve the evolve this R three program to um, get the right people, get better um, the the quality of people interested in. Uh, these outdoor pursuits so and for me a big part of that is looking at historically the indigenous first nations perspective and how they went about land management how they went about teaching how they went about um, respecting and learning about the flora and fauna that we are surrounded with so I hope that can get shared and seen and uh, for those following this intro to turkey hunting for both the mentee or the mentor i hope you see that as well and um, see where you can kind of better the program better the system that we're uh, all a part of and hoping to expand into the future so with that uh, episode two turkey talk we have sarah curly here she is a wildlife biologist here for the state of wisconsin and she is a total badass, super knowledgeable, um, super passionate about the outdoors, hunting, furthering these pursuits. And Kelly and I and the new the new hunters, Lena and Chef Mike, sit down with her and learn a thing or two about Wisconsin turkeys, habitat, hunting, calling. Calling is a great part of it. As well as the turkey stamp. What exactly does that what does that mean? What does it do? And uh where does it fit into this uh, conservation conversation? We are sponsored by Schulte Family Beef right here in Humberg, Wisconsin. If you're looking, if you're not a hunter or you're a hunter looking to mix it up with some beef, pork, or chicken, they're, they're a great company to reach out to. Farm fresh, pasture-raised meat ships right to your door from Humberg, Wisconsin. Shout out to those speedy delivery crews. Uh, they're a great family. I love what they do. Love their passion, their ideas for the land ethic, and how they're evolving their farming practices. So reach out to them. Uh, they've got all different kind of options, ready-to-go boxes or custom-made, and they can get that shipped right to your door. Schultze Family Beef. 
Also check out the root if you live in Stevens Point. I know uh, those ready-to-go cook meal packages are a pretty big thing right now, especially in the world of health and fitness. Uh, keep an eye out for the Ruby boxes. So they've got a produce box every week, but they're also doing a monthly ready-to-go uh, meal for you to uh, minimal cooking, re- reheating in your in your house, and then there there are fantastic meals local fresh ingredients they do a great job with the recipes we've loved every single one of them so keep your eye out for that Uh, otherwise here we go we're diving in seasonal and fun turkey tactics episode two Cool. Here we are, uh, back in the the Turkey One Hundred and One Podcast Studio, episode two. Here, Kelly. Thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for educating us, teaching us. Lena, Mike. Thanks for making it happen. Getting some coffee and uh, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on to be a guest host. No problem. Boom. All right, Kelly. What do we What do we got for the the rookie hunters today? First of all, you have to, you haven't commented on my hat yet. So I'm real disappointed because I put one back on today. This is, this is the turkey hunting hat. Damn it's it. actually my first, my first camo hat ever that I would wear hunting. And now I still have it and I use it early season archery and during turkey season. So that's the hat. If you're going to watch us on the YouTubes or wherever. It, <laughs> it reminds this. me of the hat I have from my dad hanging in my garage. It's got like that. Well sweated lump, yeah, the lumpiness yeah, in, the like, front, you know, yeah. in the front, you know, like looking really dorky. So whatever, but I put it on for you, so you're welcome. Excellent, <laughs> I appreciate that. I have a I have a stack of hats here. I need to send you. I've just been like hoarding hats <laughs> to send to Kelly. I, I uh, I'm borrowing a hat for the BHA Pine Night tomorrow night so that I can look real legit as, as a BHA person. But man, we're already down the rabbit hole. So. I am so pumped about this episode um, because I get to chat it up and banter back and forth with one of my very good friends, um, somebody that I was able to work with when I worked for Wisconsin DNR. I guess that's sort of how we officially met, although I knew who the legendary Sarah Carey was before that. And uh, Sarah, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit, but I'm going to gush, gush about you just for a minute. Um, don't. <laughs> Sarah's the... Uh, Sarah's the Wisconsin DNR wildlife biologist for Columbia County. Sarah, how long have you been there? Uh, Since 2007, so 14 years. Yes, Sarah's been around the block and is one of the best biologists in in the Bureau, in my humble opinion, and she knows it. Uh, Sarah is an adult onset, if we want to use that term, hunter to some extent, right? I mean, you were around hunters. Definitely. No, I wasn't really around hunters growing up either. Okay. Mm -hmm. And including becoming an on, adult onset turkey hunter, and we can talk a little bit more about how you got into turkey hunting because I'm not sure if I if I've if I've heard that part of the story. But um, Sarah also is pretty involved with the National Wildlife Turkey Federation and has done um, mentored hunts with that organization and manages a lot of turkey habitat on public lands in Columbia County. Um, and because of her efforts, has been honored by National Wildlife Turkey Federation as biologist of the year in the past. So. You've got a great guest here this morning to be asking questions of and just to listen to 
her and Kelly go back and forth as we usually do. Um, so Sarah, good morning. Good morning. And yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into turkey hunting to start? Uh, sure. So turkey hunting is actually the first hunting I got into. Um, what Kelly didn't tell you is when I got hired by the DNR, I was actually a CWD biologist and had to go shoot deer as part of my job. And um, I had never hunted or done anything like that prior to that. So I wasn't sure how I re would respond. Turns out I really liked um, hunting. So um, I worked obviously with a bunch of other hunters. So one of them was very involved with the National Wild Turkey Federation. And he took me out during their learn to hunt as my mentor. So that's how I got into turkey hunting was actually going through a learn to hunt, kind of like what you guys are doing a modified version of that. But uh, yeah, and it, it uh, turned out to be a real successful weekend. I was able to harvest a turkey that weekend. And then I bought an over-the-counter tag that year and also harvested a turkey uh, during the fifth period that year. And I thought, there's not, this isn't that hard. What is everybody going on about? And then I think it was years and probably 10 tags after that before I shot another turkey. So um, I, yeah, that's how turkey hunting goes. <laughs> Aaron and I go back and forth all spring. It's already, been, it's already started. Already turkey texts are already flying between mm -hmm. uh, thinking about how frustrating we're going to be. <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship. A love-hate relationship with turkeys. <laughs> Uh, I've been fortunate enough to hunt turkeys with Sarah. We've hunted turkeys a few times together. And then I was just thinking this morning, Sarah, about uh, last year, we, I can't remember if we, did we actually talk on the phone or were we just texting before you got your bird last year? But I remember you talking to me about, hmm, what should I do? Should I do A or B? And us going back and forth about, it. I think we were talking about it on the phone. And then I, don't remember, but I get yeah. this text from Sarah like 10 minutes later and she's like, I guess, right. And there's, there's a bird on the ground. <laughs> My favorite, favorite memories from Sarah. So Sarah's got some birds under her belt and um, yeah, I just really enjoy hunting with you. So uh, Lena might feel free to just like jump in with questions. Cause Sarah and I will just, you know, talk your ears off about stuff if you, if you let us. So Sarah's, uh, Sarah's a skilled pro at um, doing the intro to turkey biology part of our uh, typical learn to hunt experience with the with the department or with NWTF. So I'm you you don't see her PowerPoint, but I do. So uh, I'm going to just sort of guide us through some of the typical stuff that Sarah would be Sarah would be talking about in that portion of the learn to hunt. Um, and we talked a little bit Sarah last week already about just in general how turkeys. Uh, we're reintroduced to Wisconsin and their former range in Wisconsin and where they're at now, but didn't get too much into their biology besides Kelly throwing around some some terms that maybe the new hunters don't uh, don't necessarily understand. But uh, let's just let's just dive into some basic turkey uh, 101 in Wisconsin. I know you you said that you have your vocalization stuff right away at the beginning, or like well maybe you don't. I, I was trying to look for your audio clips. I'm like, is this coming at the beginning of your presentation or not? But um, yeah, let's talk basic turkey biology, basic turkey identification. How big are these freaking weird birds? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so um, turkeys, I, I usually talk a little bit about um, 
you know, they're, they're a poultry species, right? So they're, they're a lot like the other grouse that we have in Wisconsin. They're, they're like the largest of our grouse species. And some of these male turkeys can get very large. I think the biggest that's ever been weighed in Wisconsin is somewhere around like 32 or 33 pounds, something like that. Real big birds. Um, the hens obviously don't get as large. Um, they're, they're a promiscuous species, right? So their strategy is that the toms are trying to mate with as many of the hens as they can, just like deer, um, similar like that. So um, in doing that, the, the, the toms are running all over the place. They're not like ducks or the waterfall that um, mate what, what they say for life, right? So the hens have the job of taking care of the young ones with turkeys. So um, for most species like that, the strategy for the hens is to blend in with their habitat around them. So they're obviously not as brightly colored. Um, they're kind of drab and they, the, you know, they're just trying to blend in where your, your males are the big flashy, colorful, trying to attract attention um, of the birds. So if you, if you have the opportunity um, and get real close to a tom or, or happen to shoot one, I encourage you to really check out their feathers. They're, they're just beautiful. They're like this iridescent, um, they can range all over the place in color from bronze to green to like purplish almost like they're they're just very beautiful close up from a distance you know the toms are going to look more black than the the females they they're more of a brown um, buffy brown color um, and the toms are about um, twice as big as the hens are um, you also have your your wattles and your snoods and turkeys um, the, I, want the, I want the listeners to imagine these things. You yes, yes. And, you know, so um, let's see, what else, what else do you want to talk about for, for uh, physical appearance? Uh, the other Ears. thing, the difference is um, for Tom's too, the, the male birds will have spurs on their legs, which are just these like protrusions um, that they use for for fighting and for mating. Um, sorry if you can hear my emails going off here, but, um, and then uh, the, the females don't have spurs. The males also have a modified section of feathers called a beard, um, which are these bristly, weird looking feathers that really don't have any function other than apparently turkeys think they look great. So, um, Females can have beards. That's estimated about 10% of the female population will have beards on them. Generally, they tend to look a little different, though. They're not um, usually as big and bristly. It's more like just like a, almost a pencil um, size shape of a beard hanging down on a hen. So they, they don't look near as bristly, I guess I would say. Um, the, the males, their heads can actually change color. So um, what a lot of people think is, oh, if I see a blue head, that means it's a hen. That's not necessarily true because the males can have blue heads as well. When they get real excited and the blood starts flowing, it can change to white and to red. And it's kind of weird. You can almost see it change colors sometimes if you're lucky. So um, <clears throat> the males will also strut 
although um, some real aggressive hens will strut as well, which is kind of a weird thing, but um, really dominant hens might strut out. And what we mean by strut is um, it's a classic turkey pose, right, of where you see a tom with his, his uh, wings kind of held out. He puffs his body all up, and then their tail fan shows in like a rounded um half circle of the tail fan sticking out. So um, that's a very, um, that's a mating behavior. It's to show off for the females, right? Um, and so it's, it's kind of fun if you ever go walk around in the snow and you watch these, these turkey tracks and then all of a sudden you might see some lines on either side of the footprints and it looks like the footprints are spinning in circles. That's a tom that was strutting and they, they drag their wings and stuff. So um, yeah, I guess that's, that's the physical attributes of a turkey, right? So I will talk, uh, just a little bit, I'll, I'll just go on and on and on unless you guys stop me, but, uh, the, the toms with their spurs on their legs, they actually grow, um, kind of like a tree, right? So it grows longer every year. So you can kind of age, a male turkey by how long their spurs are. So, um, you know, I think it's like three quarters of an inch <clears throat> is considered a, a young or a, a, a poult or a, it was a poult the, the prior year. So baby turkeys are called poults. And then when they're their first spring of the year, like now, the, the young ones are called either Jake's or Jenny's. Most people um, just call them the, the females hens, but um, the young male birds are called Jake's. And when they reach two year old, two years old, they're considered a mature or tom turkey. The other difference between the jakes is if you ever do see them with their tail fan extended, they're actually growing in their adult feathers right about this time. So um, you'll notice their middle, usually it's the middle four feathers are sticking up and they're taller and longer than the rest of the feathers in the tail fan. And as the spring progresses, they add more of those longer adult tail feathers. Um, so late in the season, you might it might almost look like a adult tail fan. Um, <clears throat> the reason I mentioned this is because when, if you shoot a turkey, you do have to register it as either an adult or a, a juvenile bird. So you do know, have to know how to tell the difference between the two of them. And another tidbit about um, registering birds and what birds you can shoot in the springtime in Wisconsin, it's legal to shoot any bearded bird in the springtime. So you, you theoretically could shoot a bearded hen in the springtime as well, and it would be legal. And you would say, as you would say, that's what you got on the registration. They have an option to say that you did get a female bird. So you would also need to be able to identify between a male and a female bird based on some of the characteristics that Sarah was talking about. Uh, Sarah, let's talk a little bit about just general behavior of turkeys. So turkeys spend a ton of time on the ground compared to many other birds that people imagine in their minds. Uh, they can run very, very fast, and uh, which can be frustrating as a hunter, how much ground they can pick up on you um, in a short amount of time. And they spend some time in trees at night. Uh, they'll they'll sleep up in the trees at night. Sometimes hop up in a tree during the day and take a nice little I've seen them do that or um, and when the winter gets really harsh they'll maybe even spend 
a complete day, if not multiple days, up in the top of a tree, um, out of the deep snow, trying to eat. I don't know if they're eating tree buds up there, Sarah, or anything, or maybe they're not eating anything. But um, they they're pretty they're pretty hardy in the wintertime that way that they can stay up in the tree. But it's not it's not necessarily what they would naturally what they would naturally do. So uh, right, and I don't know if it's, so Kelly mentioned earlier, we tend to throw around a lot of um, terms that new hunters might not understand. So what Telly, Kelly's talking about the turkeys doing, that's called roosting, right? When they, they go up and just hang out in a tree. Um, as Ch Kelly mentioned, they actually are ground nesting birds. So they don't nest in trees, but they do utilize trees quite a bit. So with turkeys, they're, um, their habitat requirements they're, they're considered more of a generalist species. They don't, like pheasants, they don't need to have grasslands as part of their, their life strategy, right? But they'll utilize grasslands, definitely. But for turkeys, the, the ideal habitat is uh, about a 50-50 mix of woodlands versus just open area. It could be grass, it could be farm agricultural areas. Um, it doesn't really matter as long as they can find enough food. And then like Kelly mentioned, they need that wooded component for cover and um, for their roosting uh, needs. So <clears throat> the only time they don't really roost in trees at night is if it's a, a hen that's nest on a nest and um, incubating her eggs. But they'll nest all over the place too. They nest in grasslands, they'll nest in the woods. Um, so they, they do utilize woods quite often, especially in the fall. Um, oaks are a really important species for not only turkeys, all sorts of wildlife. Acorns are a huge food source for many different species. And turkeys definitely utilize those too. Um, oaks are also really good for turkeys to roost in. Um, some of these older oaks that grew up in open environments tend to have a lot of lateral branches, which turkeys like um, for, for roosting on. So if th those are kind of good areas to look around. If you, if you have an area that's um, got a lot of open grown oak and uh, the, the, that's a great spot for turkeys to roost. So if you go kicking around in there, um, I wish I could show you, I have a slide that shows turkey droppings that I usually show people at our learn to hunt. But um, if you walk around under a big oak tree and you find a bunch of bird poop on the ground that's fairly large, um, that's a good indicator that that's a spot where turkeys roost a lot. And that's a good spot to try to go um, target for hunting um, if you get into this. So. Um, <clears throat> I did want to point out to just a general biology thing. Turkeys are um, an incredibly social bird and they have excellent, excellent eyesight. It's amazing. Their brains are only about the size of a walnut and most of their brain is wired to take in sensory information from what they see. Um, like most birds, they don't really have a sense of smell, so you don't have to worry about them like being upwind or downwind of turkeys. But if you move, they will instantly see that. So that's um, turkey hunting. It's very important to not be making quick movements and um, fidgeting and moving all over the place all the time. Um, another thing, they they because they're so social, they have a lot of different vocalizations that they use. 
and um, they talk, they almost talk constantly to each other. Um, and so I think Kelly and I are going to talk about a little bit of the different vocalizations today as well. Um, but the biggest thing I can comment on is when you're out there, you kind of have to try to act like a turkey. So um, that means you want to know what these different vocalizations mean. So you're not, you know, saying the wrong thing to turkeys, right, while you're out there. But um, I, th I think uh, a real common, uh, so the, the most common call that most turkey hunters will do is called the Yelp. Um, that's a like a locator call for turkeys, turkey language. So they'll Yelp to kind of uh, locate where other turkeys are. And I think probably the most common mistake a lot of turkey hunters make is they call too much or they they'll yelp and yelp and yelp when it wouldn't really be realistic for a real turkey to be doing that so um yeah kelly do you have your calls do you want to can you demonstrate what the yelp I, sounds like i do but i think lena's hoping to jump in with a question oh okay I'm sure. good. keep going yeah. i thought you were raising your hand so politely and i was like oh yeah of course sarah's gonna put me on the spot and I'm not a champion caller, but, um, and we'll, if we do some more hunting logistics, we can talk more about these items too, but I've got a bunch of turkey calls sitting here this morning that I use. There's just like any other hunting activity, you know, gear is overwhelming and there's a ton of it and a, a ton of cost range and things like that. But in the turkey woods, depending on how fancy you want to get to, there's, uh, I mean, I like to carry a variety of different kinds of calls so everything from a mouth call this little what they call a diaphragm call which is something that i'll actually put in my mouth it has reeds of latex on it that i blow air across to mimic turkey sounds and this one like sarah was saying when you aren't when you're trying not to move is uh, is nice because it's in my mouth so um, the turkeys theoretically can't see that i also have um a pot call a style of pot call this one is is a glass top um, and it says crystal mistress on it. This is a call, a call given to me by a friend, Aaron Holmes, shout out Aaron Holmes, um, a custom, like a handmade custom call from this gentleman that's listed on here. And you play this call with what we call a striker. So some kind of peg, this one, there's all different kinds of wood, wood materials that people would make these out of. And then you move that striker across the surface of the call. Uh, of the pot to make sound and then the other call I have is Sarah's favorite this is actually a gift from Sarah to me her favorite box call um the hurricane <laughs> and you you it's you, the magic box it's call. the magic box <laughs> call and uh I don't I, I mean I don't know anything about acoustics physics whatever I don't know how this works I don't know how anybody came up with something like this to work um but just another way box calls are pretty user-friendly um you, you, as the more trick hunters you talk to, the more they're partial to certain to certain calls. I think certain uh, construction of calls. To me, the most flexible call that I can make the most sounds with is a call, but it's by far the hardest to learn and operate. Um, I mean, I've been running a mouth call, running meaning I've been trying to use a mouth call as a turkey hunter. I don't know, probably over ten years, and I still I practice all the time with it because there's so much. So much better I can do. So Yelps is what Sarah wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. I'll add, there's one more way you can call and that's just 
just with your own mouth. Um, a lot of people get fairly decent at at least Yelp, um, the per call and a putt. Um, we have, Kelly and I have a shared friend, Meg, um, who's an amazing turkey caller without having any calls on her. In fact, she's very good at doing the gobble as well. So um, yeah, if you get oh, really good at it, that's, that's obviously the best way of doing it, right? Then you don't have to carry anything with you and very little movement on your part. Yeah, and there's a there's other ones too. I mean, there's uh, other kinds yeah, of calls. There's a yeah. trumpet call. There's a wing bone call, which is actually made from the wing bone of a turkey, where you piece some of those wing bones together and blow air through. I think they you actually suck air, right? <laughs> like that's it's, you suck air through it to make the noise. I don't have one, but um, yeah, it's all. It, it can seem very overwhelming, but I'd say pick pick up one that you think you want to try and make terrible noises on it and practice. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them I, I find are easier, like, um, so there's a, a call we'll get into in a minute called the purr. I have the hardest time in the world trying to do that on my box call. So then I'll get out my pot or slate call and, and I can do it much better on that, that call. Yeah, I can't purr on a box call. So <laughs> this would be a yelp. <laughs> Pretty standard, <laughs> pretty standard turkey call. And then um, this, I mean, again, this is the the most frequently used sound by a turkey hunter. And the, the most frequent sound you'll probably hear in the turkey woods besides maybe a cut or a cluck, I would say. But the standard call that people, that you're gonna hear a turkey hunter make. Here would be your Yelp and they're pretty easy to do on all of these calls. You can hear how they sound different from each type of call that I used. And I mean, turkeys, uh, turkeys definitely identify individuals. Um, they are, like Sarah said, very vocal. And so sometimes you might call on one of these calls and a Tom is not quote, interested. He's like, whatever, I'm not going to gobble back at that. That doesn't sound like any, any of the ladies I know. And then you give him a call on something else, which is why, which is sort of why I carry multiple because some days he might be really interested in that, in a different sound, uh, and think that sounds more like a lady he knows. Um, and even the hens, the hens will sometimes respond to one call over the other. Uh, I always find it I always get a bump of encouragement when I'm in the turkey woods and the hens respond to my calling too, because then at least it, theoretically I'm sounding like some other some other animal out there. So, so that's the Yelp. You wanted me to do purrs, um, Sarah? Sure. So I'll Maybe. explain a little bit more too about purrs. So um, the purr call is something they make this sound a lot while they're feeding. Um, it also kind of translates into like a contented call so that means that they're they're very comfortable with where they're at and that can invite other turkeys you know to think oh this is a good spot to be because there's no dangers here so um go ahead kelly ten call and i also struggle to make this especially when at the beginning of the year it takes a little bit more finesse <laughs> to do a purr on a on any call but i'm just sort of letting my striker bounce its way across the top of my call. Kelly, do you do you have different strikers for each of the calls you're attempting to make? No, I do not. Um, I I will 
some of them maybe I like better than others, I guess, to make a certain sound. So like if I want to call soft and do a lot of purrs and I like one of my strikers better than the other to do that, maybe I'll favor one over the other, but I have two strikers for the, that came with this call. One of them has a little bit softer sound and one of them has a little bit harsher sound. They're two different kinds of wood. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not very good at purring on my mouth call. So I usually try to do it with this, with my glass call or my slate call, whatever. And then if you slip in like a, if you purr and then you slip in a cluck at the end of the purr that. So sometimes um, like what Kelly's doing there, if if yelping is not being very effective, I'll I'll actually sit there and just purr, purr cluck, purr, purr, purr cluck for like 10 minutes straight. And um, and sometimes that that's more efficient at getting turkeys to come over than actually yelping at them as um, not always, but that's it's just a strategy to take. Um, but like I said, with the yelps, unless you are talking back and forth with the turkey, um, you don't want to just sit and yelp, 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 yelp for, um, I, I probably try to, if there's no turkeys talking around me, I'll maybe yelp at once every half an hour, 20 minutes, something like that, just to see if a turkey walked into range and, and see if they call back to me. So Lena's looking like she's taking it all in, but like yeah. maybe just like yep. overwhelming her yeah. with like sorry <laughs> sorry no no everybody's good i just i need to process a little bit now i i have to the tune of walk like an egyptian i have 24 <laughs> points now written out methodically oh my uh and this this episode is now called act like a turkey mm -hmm. uh by running a mouth call. <laughs> That's what this episode is called <laughs> in my little head. I have identified one, two, three, four, five, six, seven places where I am in fact a lot like a hen. Um, <laughs> so I do have a couple of questions though. I, I, I'll let you know, uh, point number seven, I do uh, strut occasionally, which I believe makes me a dominant hen. So I just <laughs> want to confess that. <laughs> I just, I just get out there. Okay. I also have a waddle. I'll, I'll be honest, but where is the snood? The snood like kind of hangs over their beak. So it's that weird piece of skin that is on top of the beak. Um, hens have it too, but it's not near as pronounced as a, as a Tom's, his hangs way. It's a very long snood. And when they, you... they actually can get erect uh, talking, you know, what we were talking yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm super sad that this, I'm not like the hen in this deal. <laughs> super sad about that. I always miss out on the, you know, the biggies. Um, see the snood. I think I shared the screen. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. yeah. And Lena, when the a lot of times when the Tom's strutting, you'll see him shaking his head, um, and he's shaking that new part of their display. Nice. Oh, uh, do you can you shoot a roosting turkey, or do you prefer for them to be on the ground? Um, it's legal to shoot a roosting turkey. However, most turkey hunters would say it's not very ethical to shoot a turkey when it's just sitting up in a tree. Needs to be able to run. One more question, but I can't find it. Um, Mike, what questions do you have? Uh, not really any. I'm just 
following along. Mike's Mike's still thinking about that thirty-two pound Tom we mentioned. It's a very yeah. Big, yeah. I'm like that's I, a lot it, of turkey meals. It, it made me think of a, a Newski's smoked turkey breast that we just got in for a demo we're doing, and it was it had to be like tw- a twelve pound turkey breast. It was insane. Yeah, not the same, not the same, but yeah. it was crazy. The the biggest turkey I've ever shot actually was that that one that I shot my first year of hunting during the fifth period, it was a 28 pound Tom, which that bird after breeding all spring, I can't imagine what he would have weighed during the first period. He probably would have been right around 30, 31 pounds. So um, he was huge and same thing, breast meat off of that one. I, we were eating turkey for weeks. I couldn't like get through that thing. It was, we made, turkey like chicken fingers out of it and it yeah that made a lot (laughs) it's like sarah alluded to early in the season uh like right before the breeding season starts is probably when toms are going to be at their heaviest for the spring and then they spend much energy strutting gobbling looking for females and maybe not eating as much that they tend to lose weight as we go through the season and probably the average size of a bird of a tom an adult tom that people are going to harvest in wisconsin is I don't know, maybe a little bit over 20, right, Sarah? I mean, if you get a 20 yeah. pound bird, that's like, oh, that's a pretty good size bird. And, and you'll even get smaller than that if they're pretty mm-hmm. runny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Can I ask a question about, um, are, are there restrictions on hunting? Like, do you prefer to hunt toms to hens? I, can I just say as a feminist, I'm having a real problem that the guy gets a name and she just gets a category, a hen? Like, so I, Henrietta. So I, we're going to go with Tom and Henrietta. Do you prefer? <laughs> um, Is there a guidelines here? Should you hunt Tom's over Henrietta's? So so, <laughs> so the, uh, the reason that we don't usually hunt hens in the spring is because they're the nesting birds right so um to to get your population continuing and to stay stable um, you want to allow them to raise the next generation however we have we have a fairly sizable turkey population and so um and because there's so few of the hens that have beards um that's why they're allowed to be hunted uh it's, it's pretty much a personal preference. Um, you know, I had the opportunity last year, I saw a bearded hen. Um, it was late in the season and she was all alone. And I could tell she was probably a nesting hen that was up off of her nest, just looking around to feed for a little bit. So, you know, I didn't have it in me to, to harvest her and, you know, not just have her nest fail. So, but that's a, it's a personal preference. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Here's some more nerdy, nerdy turkey biology from stuff that I learned from, I don't, I can't remember what his name is, the turkey doctor, the researcher in the Southeast who's famous for um, researching turkeys, but uh, he's been doing more research on what is, is there a copy? We we always assume in the wildlife world that when we harvest males, no population impact because you're saving the females and there's males to go around to still breed those females. And he's been talking a lot about how that um, in the turkey world that might is not entirely true um, because of their social structure, sort of like um, Sarah and I've talked about this with other critters like um, wolves, 
that turkeys have a pretty specific social, social structure and we disrupt that in the springtime when we harvest certain males out of the flock. Um, the hens have sort of an order in which they allow each other to breed with a male and then the males obviously have some dominance. And so when that gets shaken up by harvest, then there's like a nest failure by a hen, it might take them a really long time to sort all of that out. And consequently, are we having less nest success? Um, it's a really, I think, probably a really difficult question for us to figure out from a science standpoint, but it's certainly shedding a little bit different light on our assumed knowledge that only harvesting males in the springtime isn't having a population response. So another another nerdy turkey biology thing, but Lena, you can harvest hens in the fall. Um, if turkeys in the fall in Wisconsin, you can harvest either hens or Henriettas or Toms, um, any bird. Uh, but we have very limited fall turkey harvest to begin with, and of that fall turkey harvest, uh, very limited Henrietta harvest. We'll say though, uh, not that the toms can't be delicious, uh, but a smaller bird is really tasty. Uh, so if you if you ever have the opportunity to consume a smaller bird, like a fall a fall harvested bird, Lena, uh, really, they taste really good. The turkey you had was a fall bird. That was mm. a fall Henrietta. A fall Henrietta, nice. <laughs> That's great. I'll try to find a picture of that and post it. <laughs> They're just a little bit more tender, just as just like any any other animal that you have, where the younger animals are generally a little bit easier to to prepare. Chef Mike, you know, probably can tell us all about that. And uh, the older animals um, are a little, just a little bit tougher. Need a little bit more care and patience uh, to make them taste nice. Where so, is this? So go, oh, go ahead, Kelly. I was just gonna maybe pivot us into into habitat stuff a little bit with the time we have left, but I'm, I'm not done with calls. Quick, um, we got one more call that I wanted to talk about. Uh, so we were we were kind of talking about these dominant birds, right? So I did want to point out um, there's one more call that I like to utilize quite a bit um, when I'm at least spring turkey hunting, and uh, that would be the cut. Um, so this one, I I said you don't want to yelp too much unless you're talking with another. Uh, bird, right, where they're interacting back and forth with you. And if you're lucky enough to get what I call the boss hen to get in an argument with you, it can be very exciting and can make a lot of magic happen in a very quick time period. So um, what we're talking about is, uh, so if I'm like a hen walking through the woods or sitting, whatever, they can hear me talking to them there's a dominant hen usually in any given area and uh, she doesn't like it when she has other people or other turkey hens coming into her area right so um, you might hear when you you yelp uh, another turkey yelp back at you in a somewhat aggressive manner that she might cut you off like yelp on top of your yelping and generally they really hate it when you do that right back to them and they get real mad and they they do what's an excited yelp which is called the cut kelly can you demonstrate a cut yeah i can't hear that at all it's not coming across try it on your box call point it point it at the mic <laughs> I don't even know where the mic is on this. <laughs> yeah. 
So a lot of times too, what it'll be is like a kind of a a Yelp and then like like a yelling Yelp on top of it. And um, so that's if you what I usually try to do is if I hear another turkey, I'll do exact I'll try to exactly copy what they're doing and do it right back to them. And if it's a boss hen, she gets real mad and she basically gets in an argument with you. And if you get her mad enough, she will come and find you or try to find you to basically, I think, teach you a lesson. But a lot of times she will have a whole string of other birds with her um, many times, Toms and Jakes and whatnot. So um, if you can get her to move that whole group of turkeys over to you, it can be real beneficial to you and you might have a shot at a turkey. So I think that's the last call we really need to talk about. There's there's more, but um, due to lack of time, we can talk about more habitat type stuff. Yeah, the, the other Henrietta you might run into in the woods that's talkative is a lonely juvenile in the springtime. And a lot of times they're by, they'll buy, they're by themselves and they're lonely and they're like, hey, I'm social, like I just need a friend. And so they'll kind of be walking around talking and they'll come check you out, which is kind of fun too. But the other thing to keep in mind too, I guess about calling, Sarah had, Sarah had mentioned, you know, you don't want to overcall. Uh, when it gets really critical too to perhaps not overcall is when, if you have a bird getting close enough to you where they potentially can see your location necessarily want to quote give away your location to that turkey a uh, tom's going to walk up to the spot where he can see where that sound's coming from look and if there's no lady friend there he's going to be like i'm out <laughs> i don't something's not right here i'm getting out of here and so um depending on what kind of cover you're in if it's thick or if it's really open woods uh just be careful with your calling when that bird can actually see your location because that time can pinpoint you very specifically like to the tree they will walk to the tree where you are calling from um because that's how good their hearing is and how good they can assess from which direction it's coming from so what i like to do when the turkeys are getting in that close too is not just make if i'm cutting off turkey turkey vocalizations another thing you can do that uh, seems natural and will pull turkeys in is if you actually just scratch in the leaves um, that sounds like other turkeys feeding in the woods. When turkeys feed, they scratch up stuff with their feet and then they peck at it. Uh, and so if you just make scratching noises in the leaves, it sounds natural to a bird and then uh, might, you know, just another flavor of something to entice that bird to come in. Like I mentioned on the first episode, generally what happens, and this is also related to Sarah saying like a grouse, generally what happens is a tom flies out of his tree in the morning, he goes to a spot where he wants to strut his stuff and then he expects the ladies to come to him you know he's got his quote strut zone sort of like a prairie chicken bill i mean they're sort of like a lucking bird they've got a spot mm -hmm. and to go do their thing and the ladies are supposed to come there and they do their breeding and they kind of move on for the day and turkey hunter in the woods you're trying to make the reverse to some extent you're a hen calling hoping to draw that time to you and it works certainly but it's not necessarily the first thing that would happen naturally for these birds. Generally, the ladies are going to the male out on his, in his strut zone. So just keep that in mind too, when you're calling, calling, calling at the times, gobbling, 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 well, he's expecting you to go over there. So as much as, so if you can move without being seen, you know, that might be part of your strategy is to move in closer to that time if he seems unwilling to move towards you. 
All right. And you guys okay, will probably my brain get... is my brain is flashing. Does that mean that what you the reason that you want to know turkey sign is so that you can identify the strut zone and get there first? That's a really great strategy if you can get there. Uh, <laughs> I was going to just comment. Um, so sometimes, especially for newer turkey hunters, it's easier if you use a, a, a blind. Um, so like a little tent that you sit in. Um, turkeys generally don't seem to be bothered by those usually. Sometimes they are. but um, So you can get away with a lot more movement when you're in a turkey blind. And also, if you have the opportunity, like on private land somewhere, to set it up ahead of time so it's there, you can sneak into that um, while the birds are still roosted. And then hopefully, if all goes well, they fly down to where you expect them to fly down to, and maybe um, you'll get lucky. So. So in the little bit of time we have left, uh, I like I mentioned in the beginning, Sarah's habitat manager extraordinaire in Columbia County, uh, burn boss in the in the literal and metaphorical sense, and that she's a freaking boss, uh, and does gets a lot of burning done to improve turkey habitat um, on public lands. And so, I was hoping Sarah we could talk a little bit about why burning benefits turkey habitat. What kind of what parts of turkey habitat you burn, um, what you're hoping to improve by doing that management activity. Sure. Yeah, so um, so burning helps turkeys, um, and not just turkeys, other wildlife, but um, what we try to accomplish with burning is to create a, a simulated habitat to what we what used to be here in Wisconsin, right? So most of our burns are either in prairie type habitat or um, more often, we've, we've been actually doing a lot of oak savanna restoration in Columbia County. And uh, turkeys will definitely utilize both of those habitats, but the um, mostly the big point of burning is trying in a prairie habitat is to try to keep it um, in grasses, right? And keep the trees that don't like fire from being able to grow there. And similarly in like an oak savanna, it also is meant to kind of kill, you know, honeysuckle, buckthorn, maples, these things that don't really tolerate fire very well. And it also keeps it as a more open habitat, which turkeys, Turkeys basically will go anywhere, but they do, because they're so visual, they do like these open habitats um, because then they don't, um, they can see predators a lot easier. Um, and uh, and also in these prairie habitats, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of blooming flowers, right? Or forbs. And what we didn't really talk about at all, sorry, is uh, the the nesting and, and brood rearing of the, the the hens and their young, their poults. Um, so these turkeys have to eat, what did I say, Kelly? 20% 20, 20 of their body weight, these young turkeys every day just to grow. Um, and they need a lot of protein because basically they grow from a, a little chick or poult in the beginning of the summer to a full-size turkey almost by the fall, right? So they have to gain a lot of muscle mass and growth um, in a short period of time. And insects and invertebrates really help them pack on the pounds. So 
um, what's going to be attractive to them is something that attracts a lot of insects. Uh, so like prairies or even these savannas with a lot of flowering plants in them that attracts a lot of pollinators and insects and invertebrates. And um, so that, that that is one of our objectives is to make that kind of habitat to allow um, for areas for these like brood rearing for these types of birds and other animals also benefit from it as well. Um, another benefit of burning, especially in the spring, is if you find a spot that we just went and burned like a couple days prior, a lot of these invertebrates get cooked or they or or they're very easy to see because there's no duff layer, right? It's just like a almost bare dirt with a little bit of black ash over it. And the turkeys love that. They come in there and they peck through there and they're eating in there a lot. And so I've actually had a lot of success hunting turkeys in a in, surrounded by black all around me. So um, that's another another benefit of burning and turkey hunting. Um, and it also, um, you know, it's it's a a, a nice. It's I, I like it just the I don't know how to explain it, but the um, aesthetics of it, you know, to hunt there versus sitting in a in a buckthorn filled woods is um, I don't know. It, to me, it's just nice. Um, yeah, it smells great, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can hit if you can hunt in a hunt yeah. in a neighboring area. It has a for us fire nerds. It, that smells <laughs> yeah. tough to beat in the springtime. <laughs> Sarah, do you want to talk really quick about, because uh, Phil and I always try to hit two on like what what dollars fund these management oh, yeah. activities. Yeah, so sure. Yeah. Turkey hunters are, you know, buying a turkey stamp and wondering how their mm -hmm. license dollars are spent. So go for it. Yeah, yep. That's a good point. I wanted to bring that up too. So um, so when you, when you go turkey hunting, you have to buy a turkey stamp, as Kelly just said, and that money goes into a special pot of funding that... Um, I think it's something like 80% of that funding goes back towards habitat management, um, specifically in the name of managing habitat for turkeys. But it also, like I've mentioned, benefits a lot of other species as well. Um, <clears throat> and then there's also other organizations. I think it's real important um, for hunters and non-hunters alike um, to, if you value this habitat or having, um, having these animals out there, um, it's important to put your money where it's gonna get used, right? So like the National Wild Turkey Federation, for example, um, the chapters have fundraisers and it goes into this, what we call super fund pot of money. And, um, and then that money also goes back to habitat management. And what we've been successful doing is utilizing, um, we can kind of mix and match the state turkey stamp funds with the National Wild Turkey Federation super fund to get even more work done. And it's um, it's a partnership that really helps benefit turkeys. So I try to encourage um, anyone that that likes turkeys to um, to think about, you know, maybe a membership with the Turkey Federation or or any of these other organizations that do a lot of habitat work. Um, I think a lot of non-hunters and maybe even hunters themselves don't realize that a lot, it's a lot of the hunting dollars that actually do a lot of our habitat work out on the landscape. What do you Bill, 
wrap up. Uh, did the new hunters have any questions? Yeah, we covered. Since we talked at you for like an hour. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, it, it's good to know that uh, I've been donating to uh, to deer habitat management for the last few years, though, and and not re receiving anything harvesting. <laughs> Absolutely. I do right. want to mention that um, the success rate for turkey tags is twenty five percent or lower. So, don't feel like. <laughs> you know, like you can't shoot a, it's, it's most often that people don't, they're not successful when they go out there. So, um, it's for, for having as small a brain as they do, they are incredibly hard birds to hunt. So, <laughs> well, I just want to say that I'm feeling grateful today. I've been doing some reading, but, um, I don't know why Sarah, you just must have a gift in this space, but talking about it was so much better for my brain um, and being able to write my own notes. So I learned a lot today. I, and I have to say, I love where we're ending because after our last conversation, you know, I'm not only new to Turkey, I'm new to guns and the whole, you know, the whole deal. I, I, I don't know. So, but this 25% is actually really encouraging to me because I actually felt I, I was after the last session, I was almost going to say to Bill, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to learn everything. I'm just not bringing a gun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this 25% takes some pressure off, right? Because mm -hmm. it's hard for me to master so many things all at once. I also want to say that, um, that I'm just super excited by how much I have uh, in common with Henrietta and, uh, and that feels super good. <laughs> Lena, it took me years to get a turkey, like yeah. maybe a decade yeah. <laughs> hunting from being a kid to, to when I harvested my first bird, probably not quite a decade, but it felt like a decade. Uh, so yeah, it kind of, we, Sarah and I always talk about it goes in some years you're just like, bam, in the birds all the time. And then there will be years where it is grind and Sarah's been with me through thick and thin through, through the past <laughs> couple of years and has seen my obsession turn into something really unhealthy. Uh, so, so I tried talking her out of buying as many tags as she did this year and it was ineffective. So not effective. Uh, so someone said she'll just hear me complain about it also. <laughs> yeah, this has been super fun. Good. I think we've got a really yeah, Kelly, we've got a really good hashtag there for um, for when you're having a really good day. Hashtag in the birds all the time. That's your day. <laughs> yeah. It is a good Thank day you. when you get in the birds. <laughs> all right, Bill. Bam. Yeah. I think we crushed it. Well done. Well done, team. Kelly, thanks for leading us. Sarah, thanks for uh, educating us today. Thanks for having me. Bam.